We're in Liverpool, England at the 2022 Labour Party Annual Conference. On the big screen is a highly produced video of the party's leader, Keir Starmer. He's about to give his big speech. Conference. Please welcome Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party and our next Prime Minister. People rise to their feet. Their energy cascades through the hall. Thank you. Thank you, Conference. This is exactly what the party leadership fought so hard for. Their man at the top, moderate, electable, a projection of a party united, a party ascendant. We must stand with working people, walk towards a better future, and build a new Britain together. But Sir Keir didn't get here by accident. His presence on this stage today is the end result of a coordinated and rather brutal factional war that nearly split the party in two. We are the party of the center ground, once again the political wing of the British people. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. Welcome to The Labor Files, a four-part series born out of the biggest leak of internal party documents and messages in the history of British politics. The documents cover a period of all-out internal party conflict that really erupted after the surprise election win of far-left Labor leader Jeremy Corbyn. And that's where we begin in episode one, The Rise. You know, there's an old saying in politics that the right seeks converts while the left hunts heretics. Well, as you'll hear, the hunt began almost as soon as Jeremy Corbyn shocked the political establishment in 2015. Jeremy Corbyn, 251,000. In the end, there was no room for doubt. Nearly 60% of the votes, nothing other than a landslide. Even bigger than Tony Blair's result when he won the leadership 21 years ago. It marks a victory for everything Tony Blair tried to bury. On September 12, 2015, Corbyn's victory ends two decades of steady rightward drift in the Labour Party. A sudden halt to a grand party-wide strategy of deliberate centrism that really reached its apex with one of Corbyn's predecessors, former Labour Prime Minister Tony Blair. When Corbyn took over, there were still many within the party ranks who couldn't or wouldn't accept his vision of a sharp swing to the left. The Labour files reveal the extent to which they were prepared to subvert democracy to get their way. This election campaign is, as we see here, about shaping our future. Our party is going to, I hope, become more inclusive, more involved, more democratic. Corbyn spent much of his long career fighting against Tony Blair's vision of government, which included privatization of public services and reduced roles for trade unions. That willingness to fight is part of what endears him to the hordes of new members who joined the party in 2015 specifically to vote for Corbyn. So I say, to the new members, 
Welcome to our party. Welcome to our movement. Welcome home. But those new members would soon find they were not always welcome. That they, along with Jeremy Corbyn himself, would soon be driven from their new home in droves. This is the story of a vicious internal war. And as we speak, the winners of this war are salting the earth to make sure the movement Corbyn launched can never grow again. The River Mersey Ferry is about to board. Hi, Paul. You can recognize her anyway. <laughs> I sure can. My companion for the day is Paul Davies. He's a longtime Liverpool area union organizer and a former Labour Party official. So we'll be okay without asking the captain for the back, yeah? Paul is in his element. He knows the crew and is negotiating to get us special access to a slightly quieter part of the boat. Emphasis here on slightly. Go round the back and see what that's like. If it's too noisy, tell us and we'll... Okay. Not the back, is it? It's the stair. Get it right. So, uh, right now we are heading across the water, right? Yep. Across the water is how locals describe the Wirral Peninsula, where Paul lives. Well, the Wirral is uh, on the other side of the Mersey from Liverpool, which is a well-known city, obviously, worldwide. Very few people know about the Wirral or Wallasey, which is part of the Wirral. What I'm told, it's full of very thuggish members of the left wing, and it's a very frightening place, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, well, you know, my, my knees always knock when I go there because of all these lefties. No, it's full of normal, nice, decent people. What is it about this area that, that makes it such a labor stronghold? It's been through a tough past. Um, you know, Liverpool particularly, some people would say it's a city with a chip on its shoulder. I think it's probably typical of many working-class cities across the world. Uh, obviously across Britain. For people like Paul on the Labour left, Jeremy Corbyn's election as leader in 2015 was hugely significant. Well, it was because of the, the manifestos and the policies. And, you know, I never thought they'd allow someone like Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party to become a, a leader. In fact, they wouldn't allow him to become an MP nowadays. So how long uh, until you started to feel a backlash from the party towards Corbyn supporters like yourself? Look, they weren't comfortable from the start. Our constituency was one of the first, I think, to be targeted. We're off the ferry now, and Paul is showing me around his constituency of Wallasey. It's at the very tip of the Wirral, with fine views of Liverpool across the way. On this day, the weather is absolutely perfect. Wow, this is really beautiful. Is the weather always this nice? No, the weather is very seldom this nice in, in Liverpool, Merseyside, or indeed Great Britain. Paul's taking me to the site of Brickgate, a relatively minor but historically significant political scandal from 2016, where someone allegedly threw a brick through the offices of the local member of parliament, Angela Eagle. The incident galvanized Corbyn's enemies in the early days of his leadership. Angela Eagle represents Wallasey in the House of Commons. She became a national figure in 2016 when she challenged Corbyn as a Labour leader, less than a year into his term as head of the party. Angela Eagle was the chosen candidate of the Labour right to take on Jeremy Corbyn. 
Alex Nunns is an author and Corbyn's former speechwriter. She was seen as somebody who was on the soft left at the time of the party. She was seen as, you know, not a Blairite, not somebody who could be easily attacked by the left. She was supported by a lot of MPs. Why are you challenging Jeremy Corbyn for the Labour leadership? Well, I think it's clear that he's lost the confidence of MPs in the parliamentary party. Eagle is right that many Labour MPs were rebelling. But Corbyn had the overwhelming support of the people, namely party members and local officials like Paul Davies. It sets up the first real showdown between the Labour left of the grassroots and the Labour right, which at this point still controls the party bureaucracy back in London. So strap in, because it all kicks off June 24th, 2016, at the Wallasey Constituency Labour Party Annual Meeting. Annual meetings are the most boring meeting you can go to, and we expected this to be boring as well. Paul Davies is vice chair of the meeting. And just by way of explanation, this is the Constituency Labour Party meeting, CLP for short. In Britain, each member of parliament, or MP, represents a different constituency, and the parliamentary candidates are usually nominated, at least in part, by the local members of the CLP. So, there you go. That particular day was the eve of my daughter's wedding. That's Kathy Runswick, who chaired the meeting. It was held in the same room where other meetings had been held. It was just like any other meeting. Kathy and Paul say the meeting was entirely forgettable, aside from a minor spat at the outset over who is and who is not allowed to attend. And then there was a bit of an amusing incident where there was a woman there with her son. And because people get a bit impatient, this great big bloke at the back of the biggest fellow in the room, he shouted out, just tell your son to clear off, will you? And she, in uh, defensive mother mode, turned around and said, shut up or I'll come around and shut you up or something, something like that. It was this woman and this great big bloke, and we all laughed and carried on the meeting. But this interaction is crucial for another reason, which we'll get to in a moment. At the time, we were all very pleased because Angela Eagle was one of the few members of the Shadow Cabinet who hadn't resigned in protest against Jeremy Corbyn. And somebody suggested we send her a letter saying, well done, Angela, we haven't betrayed Jeremy Corbyn. Well, the next thing that happened was we heard that Angela Eagle was thinking of standing for leader. So much for that congratulatory letter. But then comes the news that this very boring, very normal meeting would be the subject of extreme controversy. So about a week later, I got a phone call saying that there was a television program saying that Angela had been subject to homophobic uh, abuse at the meeting. But according to the chair of the meeting, that was impossible. Here's Kathy Runswick. Specifically that Angela had been called a d- And I thought, well, that didn't happen because Angela wasn't there. The meeting room wasn't much bigger than my living room, and you wouldn't be able to say or do anything without people knowing. When it became clear that Angela wasn't at the meeting, the story started to change somewhat. There was an interview done with a young member saying that there was homophobic abuse at the meeting or homophobic, I think they said gestures. What sort of things have you heard at meetings? Well, with homophobic comments aimed at Angela Regal, who wasn't present at the meeting, homophobic gestures made towards people in the meeting at the mention of Angela's name. One lady at a recent meeting even threatened to punch somebody. Then over the days and weeks to follow, 
the allegations grew into widespread homophobia. I, I just was stunned. My daughter got married the day after the meeting um, and she married uh, a woman. I wouldn't have stood for anybody making homophobic gestures. And I wasn't alone, by the way. The treasurer, she's a lesbian. So the top table was three women, all of whom had either a relative who was gay, bi, or was a lesbian. On my travels around Wallasey, Paul takes me to where that meeting took place. So the accusation was changed to the fact that they said there was underhand gestures made or quiet comments made that most of us couldn't see or hear. Now, if you had go in the room, it's very, very small. You couldn't scratch your backside in that room without somebody noticing. So the idea that you could make any comments without people hearing or any gesture without people saying is absolutely ridiculous. Having seen the room and having read reports that it was a small room didn't really capture just how small it was. On June 17th, 2016, Angela Eagle appears on the BBC's flagship Sunday politics show with Andrew Marr. The national media is now all in on the narrative that the far left is out of control. Now, you've had some very, very unpleasant things said about you and some threats and the brick through the window and all the rest of it. Yours have come particularly from the left of the party or the hard left. What's been happening recently isn't the kind of gentler politics that we were promised. We have to stamp it out. The summer of 2016, the story that a brick was thrown through Eagle's office window, or brick gate as it became known, is now a national story, reinforcing the perception that the local party in Wallasey is violent and even dangerous. Paul and I are at the site now. The building is a plain two-story brick structure set back from the road. We walk around to the alley. So there was a brick thrown through this window, you think? The police have not confirmed that they could ever find a brick, so we don't know what smashed the window. Well, hold, hold on a minute, because this was called Brick Gate. It had a gate attached. Yeah, well, people like to use those terminology nowadays, don't they? The building is called Sherlock House, and Paul just can't help himself. And I said at the time, you'd need Sherlock Holmes to be able to say with certainty that a brick they couldn't find had been thrown by people and they knew who'd thrown it. Or if they knew it was a Corbyn supporter. Absolute load of nonsense. There are a number of inconsistencies, not the least of which the actual smashed window looked into a communal stairwell, not Eagle's office. It could be somebody who was just passing by. There's a pub opposite, which has got one of the worst records for uh, violence. And a number of other places have been broken into around here at the time. The police class it as vandalism. They didn't class it as political crime. And Angela straight away said it was a Corbyn supporter who'd thrown the brick without any evidence whatsoever that it was left-wingers, extreme left-wingers. Could have been anybody. In politics, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. And for Angela Eagle and the Labour right, the Brickgate story paints Corbyn's people as far-left, violent bullies. Many Labour MPs found the accusation of thuggery and abuse very useful and amplified it either explicitly or implicitly. Former Corbyn speechwriter Alex Nunns again. The idea that they were kind of thugs going around intimidating people was, was really an invention of people who just didn't like their power being challenged democratically. 
Angela Eagle received a raft of online abuse after she announced her challenge. One man is even arrested for sending a death threat. But as far as Brickgate is concerned, there is no evidence that Corbyn's supporters were behind it. And if a brick had been thrown through the window, well, you'd expect it to be inside along with the broken glass. But there was no brick ever found inside. If you are new to British politics and new to the Labour Party, you are probably scratching your head at this point. Perhaps you're wondering, why are these two sides of the same party at each other's throats? Well, that's because you're just seeing the last 10 minutes of this movie. When you go back and see where this started, it's like Game of Thrones. It's 1979, the so-called Winter of Discontent, and Britain is in a bad way. Traditional industries like steel and mining are in permanent decline. They are cutting shifts, laying off workers, and unions respond with prolonged strikes. This is symbolizing the death of 9,000 jobs. The disruption to society is deeply unpopular, and conservative Margaret Thatcher rides that wave of resentment to unseat the Labour government of James Callaghan. What sort of government is it which sees its authority passed to strike committees? Thatcher's election leaves Labour bitterly divided. The energy is with the hard left, centered around a Marxist newspaper called Militant that is really striking a chord with disaffected young people. This is the age of the dole. And among the ranks of the disillusioned, angry, jobless young, there are many who may listen to the voice of Militant. At the time, Militant is a very real force within the Labour Party, with broad internal support for its policies. Here's Ted Grant, founder of Militant, from a TVI report in 1981. You get a sense why the militant agenda might not play so well with Middle England Thatcher voters. We stand for the Labour Party abolishing the monarchy, abolishing the House of Lords by an enabling act, and taking over the 200 monopolies. We stand for complete democracy. The Labour Party is perceived by many voters as leftist ideologues, and that leads to an electoral wipeout in 1983. It would take them nearly 20 years to get back into power. They called it the Reclamation Project. They rebranded and got a new leader in Neil Kinnock. Here he is in 1985, when he famously stood up to the left flank of his party. You start with far-fetched resolutions. They are then pickled into a rigid dogma called. And you go through the years sticking to that. Outdated, misplaced, irrelevant to the real needs. This is when you start hearing terms like entryist and party within a party. Labor leaders likening militant to a virus, its members to vermin. Tonight, Neil Kinnock said he was determined to end the activities of what he called this maggot in the body of the Labor Party. And he promised militant is on the way out. Kinnock never became prime minister himself. But by standing up to the left in his party, he blazed a path for the new Labour government of Tony Blair in 1997. We always said 
that if we had the courage to change, then we could do it. And we did it. Labour had transformed itself into a center-left party, regaining the electorate's trust on the economy. Tony Blair and his successor, Gordon Brown, are in government for 13 years. But by 2010, the Conservatives retook power. We campaigned for hope, not fear, and people responded to that. For five years, Labour drifts along, and in 2015, things go from bad to worse. Well, the people have spoken, and David Cameron has been re-elected, this time with an even stronger mandate. Labour responds with drastic change. Labour has reinvented itself. Jeremy Corbyn, the antithesis of Tony Blair, now leads his party. Jeremy Corbyn, a perennial backbencher of the socialist left wing, becomes the official leader of the party. For the Labour right, it's unthinkable. Like that moment in a horror movie where the monster wakes up after you thought he was dead. The scabs of battles won to bury the left reopened in an instant. The Labour Files give us an extraordinary insight into what happened inside the party at that very moment. Here's Kathy Runswick from Wallasey reading an internal 2016 email from the Labour Files leak. It's a message to the regional director of the party written by a councillor called Paul Stewart. Momentum has been hijacked by the lunatic fringe and they are creating the old party within a party system from the 1980s. Stewart is comparing Corbyn's grassroots political organisation, Momentum, to the old militant tendency from the 80s. These organisations are just not comparable. Former Corbyn speechwriter Alex Nunns. For the right of the Labour Party, the battle against militants in the 1980s is kind of biblical. It's the foundation of their politics. From Kinnock attacking militant, you get New Labour, you get Blairism. This is still the politics that many on the right of the Labour Party believe in. So for them to recreate that battle, you know, it's like those historical reenactment societies, they thought they were fighting militant again when actually Momentum was a completely different organisation, but it suited them to cast them as if they were militant. So now we're weeks after that now-famous meeting, the one with the alleged verbal abuse and the homophobic hand gestures I told you about at the beginning of the podcast. Councillor Paul Stewart submits a 70-page complaint to Party HQ, made public for the first time thanks to the labor files. It is the first time Kathy Runswick is seeing it, too. And nasty homophobic comments were made about RMP, who was not present at the meeting. I did not see any limperist gestures. And there were no homophobic comments made about the MP. The complaint also alleges an atmosphere of intimidation and even threats of violence. The letter says, quote, Members have been heard threatening people, saying they would come back there and punch you in the head for having an opinion. There were threats of violence from a female delegate at the front to a male delegate. But she's tiny and he was huge. The meeting was not run in a fair or impartial way. That's a load of rubbish. I'm glad to see this because we've never seen it before. And I'm not surprised they haven't shown it us before because we could undermine it and indeed ridicule it. But the bureaucrats back at Party HQ in London are not laughing. They are taking this all very, very seriously. This sets up that key factional divide in 2016, the Party HQ Labour right versus the largely Corbyn-supporting Labour left at the local level. 
I didn't realise the scale of the Labour Party hostility to Corbyn, and nor, nor did any other political journalist, I don't think. Peter Oborn is a conservative political columnist. A former Corbyn critic, Oborn has changed his tune as new evidence comes to light. Jeremy Corbyn was elected in September 2015. For the first two and a half years of his leadership, he was obliged to work with a general secretary who was hostile to him and ran a party machinery which was hostile to him. The labor files contain the entirety of two WhatsApp groups used by the senior management team at Party HQ during that period. They are tough to read. They're quite shocking and um, actually unbelievable. The messages show an incredibly toxic environment at headquarters. Senior party leaders using language that is racist, sexist, profane. A senior official said of Diane Abbott, the first black woman MP ever elected in Britain, that she, quote, literally makes me sick. The general secretary's office director said that Corbyn's chief of staff was crazy and that her face would make a good dartboard. The executive director for elections later referred to her as a bitch face cow. These are senior people making these comments. In 2016, the head of policy development at Labor HQ emails her colleagues that they should all get F-U-J-C, you Jeremy Corbyn, tattooed on their foreheads. They really hate Corbyn. And this also is a problem because the officials of the Labour Party are there to serve the party. They're not there to serve themselves. Whether they are serving the party or not, internal documents leaked in the Labour files show they were certainly trying to shrink the party. When Corbyn became Labour leader, there was an enormous increase in the party membership. From being around 200,000, it went up to half a million. And he became the first mass popular movement for many years in British politics. And these new members were regarded with some suspicion by the Labour Party bureaucracy. In their own words, it was a Stasi system. Ahead of Angela Eagle's 2016 leadership challenge, the GLU, Governance and Legal Unit at Party HQ, launched a secret validation process designed to remove any new member who engaged in online abuse. And they were very active on this. So what's wrong with cracking down on abusive behavior online? Well, nothing, but here's the problem. According to an internal party investigation, GLU's compliance officer, a guy called Sam Matthews, worked with the app's developer to focus the search criteria in ways that targeted mainly Corbyn supporters. They identified certain MPs and looked at social media abuse being aimed at them. The app does not search for abuse targeted at all Labour MPs, but only MPs on a carefully curated 68-person list. And there's a common theme to the MPs on this list. Angela Eagle, another member of the Blair government, Frank Field from Liverpool, Mike Gates, another big Blairite, former chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Keir Starmer, those who attack him are being looked at. As far as I can see, there's scarcely a single supporter of Jeremy Corbyn on this list. So do you see what they've done? They've made a list of their favorite MPs, looked at the people who make mean comments on their social media, and then kick those commenters out of the party. 
People on the labor left have mean commenters too, but those people don't get kicked out. Senior staff called it trot hunting. Trot referring to Trotskyist, the far-left ideological descendants of the Bolshevik firebrand Leon Trotsky. Although it was more of a catch-all term, really. One WhatsApp message defined Trot as, quote, anyone to the left of Gordon Brown. Brown was a labor prime minister from 2007 to 2010. The upshot of all this Trot hunting. In just a few weeks, more than 12,000 party members were flagged and 6,000 stripped of the right to vote. It looks like the unofficial purpose is to vet new members on the left of the party and keep them out of the forthcoming leadership battle. Which brings us back to Wallacey and the summer of 2016. The Trot Hunters, the anti-Corbyn establishment back at Labour Party HQ, have a problem. Angela Eagle, the local MP and the labor rights handpicked challenger, doesn't have the support of her own constituency party. They are backing Corbyn. So what do they do? I'll tell you what they do. They turn introspective. They decide to talk less, listen a little more. They recommit to small-D democracy and the will of the people at the local level. No, I'm just kidding. They try to get rid of the constituency party. Here's a leaked email from Sam Matthews, the head of investigations at Labor Party HQ. He's the same person who is vigorously heading up that validation process, stripping membership from left-wing members. Matthews is following up with a colleague about the infamous comments made about Angela Eagle. He writes, quote, a variety of people heard it. And then later, three of those four people have the same surname. Here's Kathy Runswick's reaction. And the surname was Stuart, clearly, wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was. Paul Stewart is the Angela Eagle supporting local councillor who submitted that 70-page complaint about the homophobic comments. But what is most remarkable about this supposedly independent complaints process is that it's all being done with the express say-so of Angela Eagle herself. Take this email from the Labor Files from July 17, 2016. Emily Oldno, the party's former director of governance, forwards Stewart's email in which he writes in bold-faced type, I think the CLP is out of control and should be suspended with immediate effect. She forwards it to her boss. Old No adds her own note, quote, Obviously, anything would have to be agreed with Angela, etc. Obviously, anything would have to be agreed with Angela, etc. That's new to me because up until now, I've always said that I could never prove that Angela was involved in any of this. And then a few hours later, the general secretary has clearly discussed it with Angela Eagle, and he writes, This is from Amit Nickel. She is happy for the CLB to be suspended, and so am I. Can we sort? Ta. That's quite interesting. Emily Oldno emails back, We have to do what Angela wants in these circumstances. It didn't matter what the members wanted. It was what Angela wanted. Labour Party employees were clearly 
working to support Angela in her attempt to take over the party leadership role and oust Corbyn. It's what I suspected all along. So this is a group of people who are basically wanting to suspend the CLP. 1,500 members because we weren't towing the line. And it worked. The CLP was suspended, and it stayed suspended for over a year. As for Angela Eagle, her leadership challenge never really got off the ground. She lacked support and withdrew after a few weeks. The labor right picked a new challenger to stand against Corbyn, Owen Smith. But despite all of the backroom maneuvering, the trot hunting, the suspension of local democracy, Corbyn easily survived the challenge and actually increased his share of the vote. Back in Wallasey, there's one more spot I want to check out. So here it is, Church Gardens. This is the first time you've been yeah, to the scene I've, of the crime. I've never been here before. So this is the point, the CLP gets suspended. You tried to fight back, but you realized that they weren't finished with you yet. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they go for anything to try and get you, but I mean, it was all childish lies and it was never put together very well. It worries me the idea that these people would run anything because they can't even run a decent conspiracy. You know? <laughs> if you can't run a conspiracy in politics, you have no business in government. <laughs> this starts in the aftermath of the CLP being suspended. We were very aggrieved that we were being accused of things that never happened, and we weren't allowed to hold uh, Labour Party meetings. So the local trade council agreed to have a meeting, a public meeting, to discuss what was going on in Wallasey. I was asked to speak at that meeting on behalf of Wallasey CLP. We had to publicise the meeting. So what we decided to do was give out leaflets to some people, members of the public, and also to Labour Party members. Paul says it's actually a pretty fun meeting. People are laughing. There's even a reporter from the local paper. Not long after that, I got an email from the Wallasey Labour Party saying, have you seen this? And it was a complaint accusing me of giving out some of these leaflets in a place called Seacombe, which is where Paul Stewart lives and where he is a councillor. You'll remember Paul Stewart as the man behind that 70-page complaint to Labour HQ, the man with the relatives who all heard the same homophobic slur. And it was said that three Labour Party members had watched me delivering leaflets in their street, and I'd only given these leaflets to the letterboxes of Labour Party members. And therefore, that proves I was using a list of Labour Party members to distribute leaflets. And that allegation that Paul had a list of Labour Party members would have meant that he had illegally accessed the party's private database. Fortunately for Paul, the complaint was also sent to the local paper, the Liverpool Echo. A reporter soon contacts him. So I said, well, this is amazing because I've never been to this road in Seacombe, don't even know where it is. Have you got any more information? I said, when did this happen? And he told me the date. I said, well, that's very interesting because I was in London, which is unusual, I don't go to London very often. By that time, the party had already sent him a letter accusing him of using their data without authorization which Paul says, for someone in his position, is more or less an automatic expulsion from the party. It's not looking good for Paul, but his alibi is rock solid, and he let the newspaper know it. I sent a copy of my train tickets, a copy of my hotel booking, and ample evidence. I was in London when, strangely, three people at exactly the same time 
were looking out of their windows in different houses and saw me giving out leaflets. quite a nice little area, you know? Yeah. Just a bit strange, as I say, that we've been standing here now for maybe 15 minutes and nobody's looked out the window. <laughs> yeah, I, I turned up allegedly and uh, would have spent a minute giving three leaflets out if I'd done it and three people were looking out the windows at the same time. Sounds like the dogs would have flagged you faster than the three. Well, yeah, no way I'd have put a leaflet through that dog yeah. you get your hand bitten off. The scene of the crime. Your first time to the scene of the crime. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little place, you know. We showed Paul internal emails from the original complaint against him. It was Paul Stewart, who also forwarded it on to three individuals. And here's the best part. We've looked at the metadata. Paul Stewart wrote the complaint. And then he has the um, gumption to forward this fabricated complaint to the bosses claiming to be outraged by the allegations, writing in an email to some of the biggest names in the party, including General Secretary Ian McNichol and even Angela Eagle, saying, quote, I am aghast that such clear data protection has been breached. Triple exclamation point. So Paul Stewart wrote that document for one at least of his relatives and friends to sign. And of course, he couldn't have been in the street. He then writes, this behavior must be stopped, and these members must be individually suspended slash expelled for their actions of late. The problem with all of this is it was on a day when I was in London and Comprue was in London. In the end, it didn't matter. Paul, like so many thousands of Labour members, many of whom enthusiastically joined the party during the Corbyn years, was suspended. So I knew that eventually they would expel me. They would just keep going until they found something. And it wasn't the leaflets that got him kicked out. No, he was kicked out for intimidation. What I did do, and it seemed to upset people, I challenged people to go to lie detector tests. The Liverpool Echo loved this idea. They were prepared to pay for it. They wanted to do it in their office. And so I did challenge people to go with me to take a lie detector test. And no one did. I'm not surprised. That public challenge to his accusers is considered intimidation and the party removes him for it. I think the saddest thing about all this is that over the years, I've come to expect this as the Labour Party. I know a lot of people who joined full of idealism and you know, principle who have been surprised what happens. I don't feel surprised by any information I've been shown. Paul has since resigned from the Labour Party. The Wallasey Constituency Labour Party stayed suspended for more than a year. It's now functioning again, and Kathy Runswick says the meetings there are as boring and sparsely attended as ever. My branch meetings now, you're lucky to get more than the chair and secretary. The party has become an empty shell. The activists that joined and who were present already in 2015, 2016, have stepped back from activity in, in many ways, or they've been expelled. Paul and I wind up at the seaside, looking back across the water. Yeah, I mean, this is the mouth of the River Mersey. And we're looking yeah. at, we can see Anfield, the yeah. stadium, Liverpool Stadium. Yep, and then the new Everton Stadium. 
We can also see the convention center, where labor members from all over the country gathered, and where the new party leader, Keir Starmer, made his speech in September of 2022. There was a time when Paul really believed in the Labor Party. Not anymore. Obviously, this is politics, but they don't care about who's hurt. They don't care about the truth. They want control. They want total control of the whole party. And together with the British people, we will do it. Thank you, conference. The role of members of the Labour Party is to pay the money and clap when Keir Starmer makes a speech. That's the total role. Anything else? No. We put the events reported in this podcast to the Labour Party. They declined to comment on the specific cases mentioned, but told us they were a rules-based organization that followed their rules at all times. Angela Eagle and Paul Stewart did not respond to our invitation to comment. A number of those involved in the party WhatsApp groups denied that this contained any racist messages or derogatory material. Next time in The Labor Files, down but not out. In 2017, Jeremy Corbyn shocks the country. Theresa May's snap election pumped oxygen into Corbyn's movement. But out of success, a new scandal is brewing that will unite his enemies like never before. There were an enormous array of vested interests that really wanted to destroy Corbyn. And they basically alighted on anti-Semitism as the perfect weapon. And they were right, it was the perfect weapon. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, with help from Lydia Morish. Peter Charlie is the executive producer. Craig Pennington is our sound designer. Clean Cuts does the final sound mix. Ney Alvarez is the head of audio. And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We'll see you next time. <laughs>